0: You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Good morning, Michael. (laughs) I don't know if I can put the same kind of feeling into this every time, Andre.
1: (laughs) Okay, fine. We're having minor technical difficulties and it's all my fault, but yes.
0: I'm telling you, I'm not sure I'm really digging these early morning conversations with you, and and especially now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. see, You know, we'll see how much longer these early morning... Chats go. Uh, I know for a lot of people listening to the podcast, they know that I work at News Talk 1010, but uh, I no longer work at News 1010. I have
0: you will you will be a new former News Talk 1010 dude, I guess. Um, yes, I guess uh, so I'll be uh, heading
1: up the highway to Hamilton eventually to work for uh, Reach Digital down there. But that uh, means nothing for this podcast. You'll still I'll still have to deal with your sarcastic ass from
0: time to time. I'm okay with that. Wait. I have to deal with you every time, so holy God.
1: Does ass count for the swear jar?
0: You didn't put it on the list, did you? And I think if you can say it on TV, I think you can get away with it. So I think ass and bitch are are now available. And balls. I heard balls the other day on, uh, on a TV show. Uh, so I guess that doesn't, uh, doesn't count against anymore. So the, the seven swear words that, uh, that George Carlin used to do, I think they're slowly, uh, you know, going by the wayside. Well, there you go. Let's, and uh... then CBC allows, you know, the S word and the F word every so often. I think the F word is still verboten, but the S word, uh, I was watching a show called, um, uh, pretty hard cases or something like that. And, uh, relatively funny. One of the girls from orange is the new black on there. And um, uh, cops, blah, blah, blah. But one of them said the S word. And I was like, good old CBC coming through.
1: I do love the fact that we're basically just pushing into the line, inviting ourselves to, to swear here. But um, we do have a, a guest. Uh, oh, yes.
0: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, it's not I, just you and I this
1: morning. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll do a little bit of a preamble before we bring her on. But um, you and I made a pact that I can no longer hijack the podcast to push my um see agenda. Yeah, you can say it I can't.
0: Oh yeah, you can't push your Chardonnay agenda anymore.
1: And um I mean we've we've sort of taken a look at the the landscape and uh Cabernet Franc has not been getting enough love from us.
0: No, it has not.
1: And I noticed in my Instagram feed recently, uh there is someone local who has been giving a lot of love to this one
0: grape. And that's you know- uh do you know why we don't give a lot of love to uh, Cabernet Franc? I think we're going to talk about that. Not just because you seem to you know, push me aside when I, when I say anything about Cabernet Franc. It's because Thomas does not make Cabernet Franc.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, we're gonna un-
0: I think that's one of the things I just want to
1: un- unpack in this podcast. We're joined by Allison Slute.
2: Hey, guys.
1: <laughs>
0: I guess you said it right. She didn't say no. You,
1: uh, you, you
2: said it absolutely correct. Yes. Perfect. <laughs>
1: So, uh, I guess, Alison, before we get, get into this, so you are known on Instagram as Cab Franc Chronicles.
2: That is correct.
1: But you are a wine professional.
2: A hundred percent, yes.
1: So, so, give us just a little bit of your <clears throat> resume then before we, uh, before we get into the conversation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've been in the, I've been in the wine business now going on uh, 14 years. It'll be 14 years in August. Um, In in a wide variety of capacities, I started um, uh, at Pilitary actually was my first job in the wine business back in 2007. And I was the export manager for them for uh, almost eight years. And uh, after that, I went, I moved to the US. And I was based in Miami. And uh, I worked in different capacities in the US. My first sort of job there was with a PR communications firm that did Um, Trade strategy for wine regions, uh, like European wine regions. So we represented wines of Provence. We represented wines of Beaujolais. uh, We did some other projects with some Greek wineries. um, But it was basically on the sort of marketing communications PR side of things. And then my last uh, role that I had in the U.S. was uh, the national sales manager for a boutique um, wine importer there. Uh, We represented some small family estates in like 10 or 11 states, I guess. And I just moved back to Canada uh, in October. That's the that's the Reader's Digest version.
0: <laughs> and why did you, why did you move back to uh, to Canada? Just um, because, because you saw COVID coming, or, or
2: no, I lost my job. Um, oh, yeah, my the company that I worked for, we were we were heavily, you know, because of the three tiered system and how the structure is in the U.S. Are um, we were heavily invested in in restaurants, and when the shutdown happened in spring. Uh, our revenues kind of dropped by you know 90 percent, and you can't really pivot to retail in the same way, you know, especially if your portfolio is geared to high end, you know, hand sell type products. It's not like I could just turn around and go to a total wine and more and say here, you know, here's some here's some wine. Um, so unfortunately, we we hung on for, you know, for a good chunk of the year, and then uh, and then I found out in the summer that our investors were were not pleased with how we were going and things weren't looking up. So they decided to pull the plug. Um, I have to be honest. I really
0: do like those total lines though. (laughs) Really?
2: (laughs) They are, they are handy. Although, you know, there's problems with total line as well, but um, yeah. So in the end, the company closed in September uh, of last year. And I was on a, I was just on a visa, you know, one of those TN NAFTA visas. So as as my, my company closed, my job became zero and i needed to leave. So. Yeah, get, the heck, get the heck out. So <laughs> yeah, basically, basically I, I packed up my car and drove from Miami to uh to Ontario and uh and now i'm back here.
0: So what what i guess what brings you to uh to Cab franc
2: Well, you know, it's uh my it really started with with military to be very honest with you. Um When I was the export manager, uh, you know, sort of working side by side with Charlie. But, um, you know, certainly uh, I did a a lot of the heavy lifting as far as travel and stuff like this. And really, obviously, Pilitary is known for their ice wine. And that's what we sort of focused on in terms of exports. But for the work that we did as a winery, you know, our, our two, you know, we had the three main ice wines. It was like Vidal, Riesling, Cab Franc were sort of the go to's. Um, but we did a lot of work with sort of the consulates and the embassies doing dinners and, and other sort of promotional activities in different markets, whether it be Europe or parts of Asia or what have you. So we always had a white and a red that we could show as part of dinners. And so we had our Gewürz Riesling, which was our go-to white. And then our flagship red as a winery was always Cab Franc. Um, and that's some of our oldest vines at Pilotary was uh, Cab Franc that were planted in the, in the 80s that Gary planted back in the day and so that was the grape that I always like from a red standpoint that I always spoke about um during my entire time at Pilitary and of course um I loved the grape then because of I was being you know a little flag bearer for it internationally and I should say that um you know when when Charlie and I were doing this and and some of the other wineries that were exporting you know it was never the conversation was never about the winery itself it was always about Canada it was like a conversation of well what's a what is Canada about? What is, you know, Canada's signature grape variety? So it was always a sort of a broader conversation of, you know, this grape Cab Franc is really special to Ontario and to Canada kind of on a general sense. Um, so, you know, that was sort of my my introduction into the grape variety. And then of course, living in Niagara, you're traveling around and you you gravitate to the other Cab Francs that you dig. And I just, you know, started tasting and just enjoying, and I always just really really loved the grape and then I guess sort of where it started to snowball was when I went to the U.S. and uh boy oh boy it's that's a free market if uh if I've ever seen one as far as um you know wines that are available and and all of a sudden it was as if well a my budget went down the tubes because I just started buying wine like crazy but all of a sudden. I had access to all these amazing wines from the Loire, from Bordeaux, from literally, you know, corners of the world, like in terms of, you know, everywhere, not just Cab Franc, but certainly all grape varieties. But it was great because every single time I came across a new producer of Cab Franc or a new vineyard or, you know, some guy in Australia that makes Cab Franc, it's like, okay, this is awesome. Like, so I would just, you know, I'd buy these wines and start hanging on to them with eventually the, the whole idea behind this was I thought I was going to eventually sort of pull something together as far as a book or a website or something. And I just never did it. (laughs) (laughs) I never kind of got the courage to, you know, take that, take that leap and do the, do the dive, like the deep dive the way way i really
1: wanted it to so so taking yeah taking because taking a look at your instagram it's you have you have a lot of wines that aren't easily accessible through the lcbo
0: uh is this i just i just want to jump in andre before you you ask this question because i'm sure you have a question in here somewhere um i just i allison hit upon a great uh uh thought that 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 i've always i've always said. And until you get out of Ontario, you don't really realize how we get screwed for oh all the wines yeah. in the world. And, and those people who defend the LCBO to the nth degree drive me crazy because you ask them if they've traveled and bought wine, and it's usually no, they don't. Um, just go across – well, we can't nowadays, but we will – soon be able to Mm -hmm. cross the border again and when you get across the border go into total wines go into a premier liquors go into somewhere even a grocery store for god's sakes and there is so much wine to get and we get you know we not only do we get screwed on price Mm -hmm. but we get screwed for 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 choice so allison thank you for for pointing that out
2: it's you know you're spot on michael because we and i you know i lived in the bubble here um, where my palette was all Ontario. Like, I rarely bought stuff at the LCBO because I wanted to support local, which I still do to to this day. But all of a sudden, you know, moving to the US and seeing what was available to me, it was insane. Like, I, there was a couple online um, sort of retailers that I sort of subscribed to their daily newsletters and they, you imagine, like, this one retailer that I absolutely love, uh, Psalm Select, it was started by one of the master psalms, Ian Cobble, that was in one of the psalm, the psalm films. He started this retailer, and you could literally build a case, you know, 12 bottles over the course of 90 days, and they'd ship you the case for free once it was full. And he, he was a cab front nerd too, so it was like, it felt like once a week there was some random cab franc from either a really classic producer or somebody off the beaten path or something like this i was literally like building boxes left right and center of all these different cab francs from different parts of the loire but other places as well i have a cab franc that i got from them that's from slovenia like it it was amazing but you're right um you know we we don't have access to what we could if it, we had a free market and it's unfortunate Ontario, like but...
1: ho- hopefully with the bottle shops we'll see a bit of a change in terms of access to product but we're still going to get screwed on on pricing Price. but i mean that's another podcast mm-hmm. for another another time so <laughs> yeah. for your particular for your particular feed like you do have a lot of bottles that aren't easily available at the lcbo or uh yeah. i think even through private import for most of the agents are you just drinking through your seller and and posting about it <laughs>
2: Yeah, I am. So when when I moved back, when I drove, um, when I left Miami, I literally packed up my car, I kind of sold all my major pieces of furniture and decided to take my car with me and all my stuff. And I had, (laughs) I had 13 cases of wine in my car, plus all my other personal belongings. And um, I got to the border. And of course, I, I was naive, I thought, Oh, well, I'll just pay for the duty on all of these cases of wine. And I got to the border, and you know, the customs guy that I had was super nice. And he said, Actually, you can only take five of these cases. I'm like, but what if I pay duty on the rest? He's like, No, 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 you can physically only take five on this one trip. And I'm like, Oh, he's like, so pick five. And I'm like, No, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So suffice it to say, I have eight cases of wine sitting in wine storage in Buffalo that I haven't been able to um, to get at since I've been back, but Nevertheless, the 5 cases that I picked were all Cab Franc. Um, interesting.
0: And wh- which so, which wine storage did you use down in Buffalo?
2: Uh what is the name of Oh, it's called Winkler and Samuels. Got it. Okay. Winkler and Samuels something like that. But anyway, it's, they it's have, interesting uh, to know they have I,
0: I know I know there's a subsidiary of uh, of a of a, a wine storage place here in Toronto that's also... Yeah, Iron Gate Buffalo. has yeah.
2: has a spot in Buffalo. Yeah, um obviously I was under the gun um trying to cross the border, so I literally called like a half a dozen places and this was the first place to answer my
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got it.
1: <Yeah.
2: laughs> so, I wonder how often that happens um, for,
1: for wine storage but... places at, at the surface crossings where they get the emergency call from Canadians who get the, <laughs> sure. the hard knowledge crossing the, the border.
2: Oh, I'm really? glad you had a
1: nice border guard, though. I know every time I've tried to cross the border with even a case of wine in a car, uh, the Canadian border guards usually have a John McLean like attitude when it comes to, uh, to dealing with alcohol.
2: Yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta, you know, and I I was very, um, prepared in terms of, you know, obviously I was crossing the board with my vehicle and, and a whole bunch of, so I was very organized and I think they appreciated the level of detail that I put into not only my personal inventory, but the wine inventory, um, in terms of. Dollar values and currency and the whole thing, but um, but yeah, when when faced with the the possibility of okay, I have to leave eight cases behind in storage, the stuff that I wanted because I knew like I had been thinking about launching this, um, you know, when I found out that I lost my job and that I was coming home, I was thinking, well, that maybe this is the opportunity for me to kind of start to truly launch this project, and I was here during the summertime um, for a couple of weeks, uh, and I had a chance to see the vineyards again and, and, you know, spend some time with Brian and some other winemakers to talk Cab Franc. And then I started to kind of get the confidence, like, Oh, maybe I can do this. So I literally, I brought five cases that I had that were all Cab Franc, um, primarily Loire, but there was some other stuff in there too. So I'm literally, like you said, I'm working through (laughs) my personal Cab Franc cellar at the moment for a lot of the, the wines that I'm showing.
0: So I, I noticed on the uh, the uh, the Cabfront Chronicles I think that's what it's called that um, right. that you started out doing pictures and at some point also moved into to video. So when did you do that and decide that it was time to to get your face out there, not just the bottles?
2: Ugh. Um, I'm still trying to reconcile that transition <laughs> to <laughs> to still images to video because that was never the plan. Um, Initially, I can't remember how it began, but I think I saw, I think there was one day um, when I saw, like I was looking at different IGTVs and people kind of doing like little wine, I don't want reviews or what have you on Instagram. I'm like, well, maybe I could do that instead. And so I did it, you know, I prepared a couple and I sent them to some people and I'm like, what do you think of this format? And the people that I, you know, I trusted friends that I, you know, and professionals that I know, and, you know, what do you think of this format? And they're like, oh, it's really great. You're really engaging. You know, it's, you're delivering a good amount of information and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, maybe I'll do this. And kind of, I thought that I was going to balance it with photos. And then, I don't know, I just, (laughs) it's just kind of transitioned into a video thing.
0: I'll um, say the, well, the video it, thing is kind of addicting as somebody who does, does two a week. Um, it is addicting that you get addicted to filming them. I I don't know if you do, but it's like, I can't wait to dive into the next <laughs> bottle that I have to talk
2: about. <laughs> um, I, I do get excited. Um, I put a, there's a lot of research that goes into the the bottles that, um, you know, when I do a video, so they are, there's a lot of work that kind of goes into it. It's more, um, because I kind of, if you notice on the, on those IGTVs that I call, I've kind of, the series is called Franc de Jour is what I call it. Um, but as part of those series, the videos are usually somewhere between, you know, three to four minutes. I try to not go beyond four minutes because I know people's attention spans are limited, but um, basically I kind of have a structure. So I sort of present the estate and the region in sort of the first half or so of the video. And then the second chunk is, sort of my tasting notes, if you will, on on the wine. Um, and sometimes the the research to do that sort of first preamble is is quite extensive because uh, sometimes I'm emailing with wineries to try and get more details. It's it's shocking to me how little information um, there is on the things that I want to talk about. Uh,
0: well, especially on the French. The websites are absolutely horrific. Some of the ones that I do research for, I just oh like... God. Well, so like you not the tell internet. Tell me how long, what the grape variety is that you put in this blend.
1: It's like the oh the internet gosh. never went to yeah. France properly. I mean, the number of of wineries that just exist without an online presence blows my mind. But also, the way they sell wine is very different than the way that we do in North America. We do in Niagara. They do in Napa. You know.
2: Well, they take. I think they take a. There's, you know, a lot that they they think the European mind sort of takes for granted. Like when I when we were when I was on the importing side of things, like. And I was building our our website for the importer I worked for. You know, every single wine story from every one of our European producers was: "We're the third generation. We've had these vineyards in our family for hundreds of years. We we make this, and we make it like this." And it was like, "Can you give me anything more than that, guys?" Like, and, it, <laughs> and
0: know, it's so- never, it's it's never a uh, vintage specific it's always like here's yeah. the wine and yeah. i guess yeah they make it the same every year but they, you can't make it the same every year there's got to be longer in oak it's got to be less time in uh, in, st- in stainless steel the maceration has got to yeah. be slightly different there's got to be something different from year to year and they just never do that
2: yeah yeah exactly and so it it takes a lot of time um to to you know, I, you know, honestly, I love the format and I feel, uh, you know, the more I do it, the more I feel comfortable with sort of the video thing. Um, but it does, it takes, it takes a lot of time to find the information that, um, I want to know first of all. And, you know, granted, I know that, um, you know, my videos are a little bit intense and very nerdy. Uh, so, uh, I know that there's, you know, I, I kind of tell people, you know, anybody that's DM to me and said, Hey you know, I love what you're doing, you know, your information is, it, it goes really deep and it's like, you know what, they're very short snippets, take the information that's interesting to you and kind of chamber it. But, you know, by no means am I expecting people to like, you know, get all the little bits and pieces that, that I talk about in the videos in terms of soils and, you know, yeah, you've definitely cultivated,
1: You've definitely cultivated the, the Cab Franc nerds. I mean, the one thing I enjoy about your channel is the, the weekly quizzes that you do. They are not easy. Like, you you are doing some pretty deep dive, uh, multiple choice questions that you ask people.
2: Well, um, Michael's going to have to take a quiz at some point. Uh, <laughs> I, I just literally posted the quiz uh, just, just a short while ago uh, for, for this week. But, you know, when you limit yourself to a single grape... <laughs> You gotta you gotta go deep to find <laughs> quiz questions. this is this is the sixth week in a row now that I've done this and um, it's actually you know, it's a fun exercise for me because it's also helping to fuel other ideas for content going forward because it's like, oh, I need quiz questions. So what can I how can I like incorporate this little factoid into, a video or into a post or something like that, so oh, that all right so, so can... i've
0: got i've got an idea let's do something uh live and make ourselves look foolish andre where do we find this quiz right now
2: it's it's up on my instagram stories at the moment okay
0: on the story so we're gonna go to uh the uh andre i want you to do this as well yeah i want you to go to the uh cab front chronicles yep okay so there we go and uh it would be under quiz number five i'm assuming
1: Oh my God! No, no it's, no, no, it's you, in my
2: it's, it's in my active store. Yeah, about. there's an active, active one right story, now. God. So so yeah. here's
1: here we go. Question number one: This Bordeaux grape doesn't typically exhibit pyrazines, and the multiple choice is Sauvignon Blanc, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, or Semillon.
0: Oh, there it is. Okay, this Bordeaux variety. Yeah. Uh, I am gonna go with. Uh... All right, I've got I've got mine.
1: I, I've got mine too. I uh, I hit Semillon, and that was. That was correct. Oh no, I was I went
0: with Merlot. All right.
1: Um, come on, Michael, you live in Niagara. We've you and I have both tasted plenty of Merlot that exhibits pyrazine, and it is nasty.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know about Semillon, though. I would have said it would would have it. Cab Franc is the number one planted grape variety in Virginia. Ooh. I got I, uh, I got that one right. I'm gonna go true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There we go. It is. It is right. actually 21 percent of the
2: plantings in Virginia are Cab Franc.
0: All right, uh, Lagrange <laughs> Le lieu D is li, located in which appellation?
1: Hmm. Chinon, Saint Nicholas du Burgueil, Burgueil and Summer Champigny. Oh my God, this is one where I'm. I'm completely guessing because I'm not even familiar. So Lagrange Le D is that uh, like a Grand Cru? It's
2: it's a basically it's a vineyard. So Leu is like a they it translates to named place, but it's basically like a vineyard name.
0: Okay. I got it wrong. B. No, I'm wrong. And I guess Burgundy. The answer was Chinon.
1: Chinon. See these quizzes. These quizzes are hard. These quizzes are hard.
0: So, current research suggests that Cabernet Franc originated in. Oh, that's a good one. Bordeaux, Loire, Loire,
1: Basque, or Penedès. And the thing is, you've got the whole the whole map of France going right down to Basque. I'm going to guess Basque country just because you've got the map there. I'm I'm thinking you are giving us a. Michael, did you get your guess?
0: Uh, I went Loire, and it's not
1: it's Basque. Uh, it's Basque. Well, I, uh, Allison, you gave the answer, you gave the answer away by posting a, a a map of Basque country.
0: So if people were paying attention, they, they should have. Well,
2: technically, Bordeaux and the Loire is on that map too. So okay, yeah, okay. the whole
0: thing is, Andre. I don't in know where you're. <laughs> the majority of soils in Loire Valley are this type. Oh well, well, there you go. Look at this. Well, these aren't uh, these aren't easy questions. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> Metamorphic, glacial, sedimentary, or igneous. Uh, I'm gonna go sedimentary. I'm gonna go glacial. Oh, I got it wrong.
2: Good job, Michael. <laughs>
0: How did you do? Uh, well, I I get what did I get? Two for four, something like that. Think, so it was I
1: three for five for both of us. Anyways, those, those those quizzes are a lot of fun, but like very very <laughs> very very nerdy.
0: So I guess okay.
1: I just some questions, just because it's it's stuff that Michael and I usually kick around on the on the podcast. You've obviously tasted yeah. a lot of franc from around the world. How does Ontario franc stack up?
2: Well, you know, that's a fantastic question because, um, like I said, I lived in the U.S. for six years and I didn't really, like, when I came home, I tasted franc from here. But, you know, I spent six years expanding my palate and um, tasting a lot of Franc from from other parts of the world. And when I came back, and now that I am back and kind of doing a deeper dive locally, we really stack up really well, honestly. Um, Niagara... Well, I'm going to say Niagara because there's a little bit of Kev Franc in PEC, but it doesn't, it doesn't ripen um, to the same degree that it does. Like you kind of need those warm vintages um, for Kev Franc to, to do well in PC, PEC. But I think in terms of Niagara, uh, every vintage, you're going to get a great Kev Franc. But in, in terms of overall quality, price value ratio, I think Niagara does an exceptional job. And I will say that I think dollar for dollar, um, you know, we do, like as far as any grape, <clears throat> excuse me, that grows in, in Niagara. I think if there's anything that Niagara can compete on a world scale really well on, it's it's Camp franc. Um, I think our chardonnays are good. I think our rieslings are solid, but Pinot, obviously, you know, it depends on the on the vintage. But I think it, the benchmarks for those grape varieties elsewhere in the world the bar is set pretty, pretty freaking high. So, you know, that's not to say that the, you know, the Loire hasn't set, set, set like a, a, you know, a high benchmark. Certainly they have, but I think what the, what the grape growers in, in Niagara are doing with Cap Franc now, especially in recent years, especially, um, I think is, is really showing great promise for the grape variety.
0: So my my next question is is going to be this, and I and I kind of throw it up uh, when we when we posted our uh, podcast yesterday with Mark Bistore, mm-hmm. um, I I did throw it a, a term, and it uh, I think it sparked uh, Brian Schmidt's ears over at VineLand. I called oh. uh, we're talking crew Cabernet Franc because Ooh. Mark is is doing two different vineyards of of Cabernet Franc plus some blends, obviously. And uh, I think Brian was like, whoa, now we're talking crew Cabernet Franc. Do you think we in Ontario can start talking uh, in that way? A
2: thousand percent. A thousand percent. In fact, I have, like right now in my in my possession, I probably have at least one, two, I probably have at least 10 different single vineyard bottlings of Cab Franc from, from Niagara um, that I'm, you know, tasting... And, you know, that I've tasted and like, whether it be, um, you know, obviously there's the two clonal expressions from Boutique that Brian does. Uh, Brian has that whole cab series, the Cab Franc series that he did in 2016. Um, you've got Piconi from Mark. You've got uh, obviously Foxcroft um, has a number of different people working with that Cab Franc fruit, um, the Mason Vineyard, which Kelly owns. Yep. <clears throat> that they recently released a bottling for calus um what else and they
0: also uh, they also have some for hansberger as well
2: correct correct yep. and um i picked up recently the small lot from 30 bench um which is again beamsville beamsville bench bench terroir of course Taz has all of their different blocks that they do There's saint david's block there's the hillside vineyard which is i think niagara Lakeshore, or no then i think that's 20 mile bench but Um, Of course, Laundry, uh, Heather Laundry's vineyard for Cab Franc has consistently and that was Taz was doing that for the last 15 or so years. And now uh, the fruit's going to um, Southbrook. But uh, yeah, I I absolutely believe that we can start to have sort of dive deeper in terms of how Cab Franc expresses itself on these specific Niagara uh terroirs
0: the, the one that that you know breaks my heart is if you remember the old thomas and vaughn they were uh they were heavily into cabernet franc and when it was when it was purchased the um the the owner at that time well now it's obviously where redstone sits but the mm-hmm. owner at that time who had bought it was an american who said cab franc is is not a grape he wants to deal with and he pulled out 35 year old cab franc vines at that time, uh, much to the chagrin of both winemakers, who were saying, Jesus. "Don't do it! Don't do it! Let us keep these. We'll, we'll figure out what to do with them." And yeah, he right? he had them yanked out, and that breaks my heart because if you could imagine those kind of uh, aged vines in
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: Redstone's hands, let's say, uh, Taw's hands, that would there would have been some great wines.
2: Yeah, well, this is so. This is sort of what I'm trying to do with this project: is make a case for the fact that. Um, you know, anybody, t- anytime somebody asks me, well, why Cab Franc? Like, sort of what's your, what's the, what's the gist with, you know, why you're doing this? And I, I believe that, you know, Cab Franc is a great variety. As much as it does have strong uh, varial characteristics, it also, because it, it basically, so uh, according to Jancis Robinson, Cab Franc is, is sort of denoted as a founder variety. So it has been sort of, it, it is responsible for the parentage of several other grape varieties. We know Cab Sauve, Merlot, it's a relative, it, it, I think it's the grandparent or the uncle of Carmenere, but basically Cab Franc, uh, uh, according to Jancis Robinson's research and, and her partners, Cab Franc is a founder variety. And I believe that as a founder variety, it has the ability to show terroir. So when I am tasting a wine, um, whether it's Niagara or anywhere else, I'm trying to dig really deep in that regard and try and understand, okay, well, what soil was this grown in and how is this reflected in the wine well let's just say um, just step a out, controver- like- conto- controversial uh sort of subject but um i'm making the case that that it can show the oh,
1: soils. what do you mean by founder founder variety
2: um, so in Jancis Robinson's wine grapes uh, tome, uh, she, she chronicles as, I don't know, it's like 1300 or 1400 different grape varieties. And she notes, she and the fellow researchers note, there's like a half a dozen or so grapes globally that are responsible for the sort of family tree, if you will, of other grape varieties. So Pinot Noir, for example, Pinot Noir and Gouet Blanc. Um, So these are two, uh, obviously nobody ever thinks of Gouet Blanc anymore, but basically Pinot Noir and Gouet Blanc are the parents of, I think, something like 26 different grape varieties. Um, They're responsible for Melon de Burgoyne, they're responsible for Chardonnay, they're responsible for literally like this huge family tree of grape varieties. And basically Cab Franc has its own, it's at the top of its own sort of family tree, if you will. Uh, And there's only, I think they name, it's like six or seven of these grape varieties globally that are responsible for the parentage of a number of uh, other sort of well-known grape varieties. And some of these grapes that they consider founder varieties aren't even really used anymore in terms of like, you know, actively planted or made into wine, but they are their gen their genetics is responsible for creating the genetics of other grape varieties basically through natural sort of means not through um direct you know human intervention in terms of crossings
1: all right well here's okay so here's i guess shifting gears a little bit then is a question i want to ask to both you and michael because i know michael and i have have unpacked it and I, i know for right now especially for the higher end of Ontario wines, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And, and I, th- I think without a doubt, Pinot Noir is sort of lying at the top of the, the hill. What needs to be done to get the market to shift to Cabernet Franc and to get the sommeliers in Toronto who are serving the high-end wine to shift to Cabernet Franc?
0: Well, I'm would, I, well, I, I going to let Alison start on that one, but no. let me see what her answer is, <laughs> and then I will... Unless Alison wants me to... On
2: that, you... I'm, I'm... you... You, you take a bite of that one, Michael.
0: Well, uh, look, um, I, I think, and, and I've always, uh, first of all, uh, Cabernet Franc is my first love in Ontario. Uh, everybody will always say that it's, you know, Riesling or something. And I, I, I think it's, you know, I, we do great Riesling, but there's other countries that do Riesling as well. Cab Franc is, is really, now I'm, I'm going to get in, in some trouble here. I'm going to step in a big pile of something is uniquely ontario because we grow a lot of it we we uh and we do it so well and it's you know there are other countries doing chardonnay there's other countries doing pinot um but cab franc could be our grape and we really just kind of put it to the wayside and i and i think it will take people like uh you know brian schmidt mark pistor uh you know, Taws. although, you know, I think they are still considered a Chardonnay Pinot house. Uh, and as Alison pointed out, they've been making single vineyard Cab Franc for her forever. Uh, Adamo. I know she makes, uh, you know, some single vineyard Cab Franc. It's going to take uh, a global, not global, sorry, global in the means of Ontario mm-hmm. uh, to really start showcasing Cabernet Franc instead of always, you know, Pinot Chardonnay where I can get Pinot and Chard from anywhere it it's going to take a hardcore group of winemakers to start really focusing on Cab Franc, and I think as we had talked before, Andre, it's where we really dropped the ball when we started. When Allison was working for Pillitteri, you know I know Charlie is a big big fan of Cabernet Franc, but you know I think even he dropped the ball in in promoting Cabernet Franc to move on to the to the ice wine bandwagon.
2: Yeah, I think just in general, um, Cab Franc, uh, I think the, the the well, A, there's not a lot of visibility. Um, you figure, you know, perhaps people already know Cab Franc from Loire wines that they drink. They just don't realize they're drinking Cab Franc because obviously the people in Chinon don't put Cab Franc on their label. So a lot of people's references for the grape perhaps if they understand it from europe maybe aren't putting two and two together i don't know but in terms of like i think just the issue with cap franc in general is it's just it kind of it's it's a bit of a cinderella grape you know it it's in the shadow of cabernet sauvignon everybody knows cabernet sauvignon and oftentimes when people say cabernet without the you know the end that people, you know, you're, you're assuming that they're referring to Sauvignon. So I think a, you know, Cap Franc is in the shadow of its, its son, um, if you will. Um, and it just doesn't have, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not sexy. Like people think Pinot is sexy and people think that Chardonnay has sexiness.
0: Uh, sex, Cap appeal. Is, sex, sex appeal. Man. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think Cab Franc, um, maybe why people kind of have abandoned it is just, in i mean like abandon it from a marketing standpoint is it just doesn't have that same cachet that some of these other great varieties do and you know what honestly a big uh, i don't want to like rock the boat a little bit in terms of the ontario wine industry but a big fault sorry <laughs> this, this
1: rock the boat is what this podcast but, is for um, what we um, do.
2: but no i think a big uh a big what do i want to say here um i think a detriment to the Ontario and Niagara in particular, in terms of the wine industry is our dependency on tourism and how that shapes what is talked about and what is bottled and how people approach the grape variety. So, you know, you think of the guys in Niagara on the lake, they're, you know, subject to tourists coming in. They've got to have, a Gewurz, they've got to have a sparkling, they've got to have a sauve Blanc. they have to be able to cater towards the guy that comes in off the street and says, Oh, I really like big ruds, or stuff like this. So, unfortunately, I think the message is getting diluted, because there's, uh, you know, we got to, these are all businesses that need to be run, and you got to make money. So, um,
0: so I'm, I'm going to jump in here really quickly because you're umming a lot. So that's fine because I understand you don't <laughs> want to rock the boat. But look, I, I can talk about both of these issues. So first of all, let's go back to Chinon. Because Chinon and and uh, the Loire Valley doesn't put Cabernet Franc on the label, that's why I think it becomes an Ontario grape variety is because people don't realize that that's what they're drinking totally. uh, from the Loire Valley. And so it is our grape to take over if we, if we did it right. Well, even then, I um, don't think it's a matter of taking it, of, of so taking it over. I don't think always been my, my point.
1: So I don't think there's uh, any, any, even a need or, or a way to look at it from the marketing standpoint of us taking it over. The The reality is we don't get a lot of Chinon or Loire Valley Cabernet Franc that goes through the LCBO. No,
0: but I, I, I'm talking more of a on a, now I'm talking on a more global scale. What is Ontario known for, right? So when we go over to, uh, to London or wherever and we go, oh yeah, you got to try our Chardonnay and Pinot. It's like. God, you guys are really dropping the ball on that cab franc. You really are. I, I think it's uh, again. I'm going to hit the, the the wine marketing of Ontario. You guys are just dropping the ball completely on cabernet franc. Oh, here's some more ice wine you can you can you shove down people's gullets. Well, people don't always want to drink ice wine. It's not something you drink all the friggin' time. Um, now back on to the detriment uh, uh, to Ontario. The uh, the other uh, uh, the other shoe that uh, that Allison dropped. <laughs> is um i think again what we what we fail to do and i understand that that we we do uh rely on on tourism but the the part that we again dropped was uh yeah okay here's a cab stove here's our riesling here's our shard here's our pinot let me give you one other one that you may want to try and that's that's the winery's job is to say Mm -hmm. Here's another wine. This is what we really do well here in Ontario. It's Cabernet Front. We want you to try it. You might not like it right away. Might grow on you. Try it at every winery. Not avoid it, but kind of push it at people and yeah. say, look, this is this is what Ontario really does well.
1: I would agree with you on, on that completely. I, I, I do think that there is a problem where... Uh, well, and I understand when you're running a business, you need to be responsive to the market. But it's exactly like, you, like you've said. I think there's a lot of wineries who are maybe afraid to try to push something new onto the market yeah. because it is a risk. And we're dealing with, first off, agriculture in the first place, which is already risky. So to plant a vineyard, you know, and, and wait and see, I, I think we're at the point now where we might see some people starting to tear up Riesling uh, just because they're having a hard time selling it. And it takes four years before those vineyards come online once you replant, right? So you're taking a a four-year risk. And that's before your vineyards even mature that the market is going to respond to what it is you're you're
0: selling, right? Look, as somebody who has done wine tours, uh, I can tell you that ice wine gets poured on every single one of those tours. Every winery you go to will pour you an ice wine. Switch out that ice wine for a Cabernet Franc. People are going to ask for the ice wine. You don't have to give it to them. People are going to ask for it. But they're not going to ask for Cab Franc because they don't understand it. They don't know what it is. I think if we just did that, that would be a great step in in promoting Cab Franc in Ontario. Because people end up liking it. You know, when they got back in the van, they got back in the car, they'd always go, I'd, I'd ask, did you get a Cab Franc? And it was, you know, it's somebody somewhere like Pelletari or somewhere that Cab Franc is, is, a, is a big thing. And they'd go, no, what's that? And it's like, wow, we really, we've lost another, we've lost another customer.
2: Uh, Allison, well, do you have anything like, you want to add to yeah. it? No, no, no. I think you're spot on. It's just really comes down to sort of, you know, if we're talking cellar door experiences, um, it it is, it's a, it's a difficult dance to um, show, you know, obviously you have tourism, you know, tourists come in and have a conversation with them about what they like and show them things that they like, but also to push that, that uh, envelope. And I think, wineries need to train their teams to, to talk about these grapes. And yeah, like you said, sort of very, you know, not aggressively, but certainly um, promote them in a way that is like, this is what we do really well. You should, you're in Niagara. If you don't leave this winery without trying it, you, you've done a disservice to your palate or, you know, something like this, like put it, put it in a way that you're here. You need to try this grape because this is important to, who we are as a wine community. And if you don't like it, that's okay. But at least you can say that you tried it, you know, in the same way that my mother, when I was a kid, you know, it's like, that's on your plate. I don't care if you don't eat it, you have to at least try it. And then if you don't like it, cool, at least you tried it. That should be the mentality.
1: Maybe we need to go one step earlier than that. And instead of uh, force feeding it to the um, the consumers, <laughs> every winery owner, we need to start bringing Cabernet Franc cuttings to and say, I don't care if you don't like it, you're going to plant it and you need to find a way to work with <laughs> it. And I mean, that's where, where it's got to start. But
0: Well, that, 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 that I think is going a little far, Andre, but uh, I think wineries have to come to it uh, naturally uh one of the great makers of cab franc was natalie reynolds uh no mm-hmm. so natalie spikowski Sorry, natalie reynolds was uh, from uh, thirty bench natalie um uh, spikowski she worked for uh, rosewood she worked for hinterland uh she worked for another uh, a, a few other wine uh wine companies wine makers uh wineries sorry man i this morning thing is really messing yeah, me you're, up
1: yeah you you you're losing your english
0: But uh, she hates Cab Franc. She hated it, but she made great Cab Franc. And I think sometimes it's that love-hate relationship that you have with a grape. I hate working with it, but I've got to make it. Uh, And she made some spectacular versions of Cabernet Franc. Well, I
1: think... Sorry, go ahead, Alison. No,
2: no, 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 no. No, you you go ahead. I was just going to (laughs) say, I think this
1: is as good a place as any to to wrap for this one. But I know uh, when I reached out to you, Alison, you'd mentioned that you want to get together to actually do a tasting. I think you're you're definitely yeah. cultivating a little bit of a nerdier audience than Michael and I, but we might learn something. We're always shocked when that happens and at least uh, try to teach the people who are listening to this something. But um, I think in a world where a lot of people who have been around the wine business for a long time, the tendency is to be a little cynical to content creators and uh, for lack of a better word, influencers on Instagram. I'm, I was very I'm very happy to see where your project is going. And if you are one of our maybe Instagram hesitant, go check out Cab Chronicles. You will learn something. The content is great. And uh, the way wine knowledge is being shared on Instagram is changing. So uh, I'm glad to see you're a part of that positive change.
2: Yeah. And I will be um, eventually will move beyond. I'm in the process of building a website and I'm hoping to eventually get my videos onto YouTube as well so that it can, reach a a wider audience but for the moment uh instagram is really convenient and it's a great way to sort of build the build the network for sure
0: well that was interesting andre
1: uh yeah i feel like we were just kind of scratching the surface but i'm glad that we spent the whole like first little bit just kind of unpacking uh allison's background it's clear she knows a lot and i can't imagine building my instagram on one grape uh as much as i love you know the grape i'm not allowed to say
0: which grape is that, Andre? I'm not, I'm not allowed to say it. Which which one would you would uh, would you uh, do an Instagram on uh, if you could?
1: So, anyways, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing a, a follow up. and maybe going through some old old fronk and having a conversation. I, I I really thought that the the two of you bouncing off of each other with uh, how to let's let's call it the the franc solution for Ontario. I think there's a a lot that there could be unpacked. I'm 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 actually really excited to keep. Uh, working on this on this uh series throughout the year
0: well i can't believe it uh yeah so again back to that thing would you would you do a whole thing on uh Capsola? so for
1: the people who have taken the time to check out patreon recently i thank you very much to the new supporters that we have you know a friendly reminder i know it sounds like uh the wheels are falling off but um Overhead isn't high for this podcast, but any support is always appreciated. It's now being billed in Canadian dollars if that was a, a deterrent before. But patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. I'm Andre Prue from Uh Shiraz?
0: Keep going. Uh, Michael. I'm Michael Pinkus of com, and I'm still trying to figure out what Andre would base a whole Instagram page on. Shut I, up, just, I, don't, I don't know, Andre. Like, Sémion? take us like, away uh, like oh i know it's sauvignon blanc of okay, course take it away. i know how much you love oh it's break. chardonnay oh. oh more money for chardonnay oh, that's goodness. unbelievable i never would have guessed good night thanks for listening please subscribe to two guys talking
1: wine on iTunes. this episode of two guys talking wine was produced by jim ray And Adam Duran.